0: First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to the book of Joel in the Old Testament? Uh, You know, since this series is uh, entitled God at the Mic, uh, I was thinking about just some of the things that I have heard uh, coming at me Uh, From people who were standing at microphones uh, in my life. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about that. I try to think about some of the best things I've heard uh, at a mic and maybe some of the worst things that I've heard at a mic. Uh, Of course, when I think of the best things, I think, first of all, just of music. Uh, I'm sure that comes to your mind as well. You know, solos that you've heard, choirs that you've heard. Uh, just incredible performances that uh, you remember and I remember even to this day. Uh, I guess as a preacher, I also think about sermons that I've heard at, at conferences and at seminary, and even in churches that really just spoke to me. And so, you know, there's there's been many wonderful things that I've heard uh, at a mic uh, that I wanted to hear, I wanted to listen to. Of course, as I think back over the years, there's also some things that I heard uh, at, at a mic that uh, maybe I didn't want to hear so much. And I don't know what comes to your mind about that. I, I, one thing I think about is if you ever been to a wedding and heard a toast... And it just, you just, it was just, it was almost cringeworthy. You know, you just, you just wanted it to end for the sake of the person, right? And so uh, I know I've experienced that. Uh, Sometimes it's also, I kind of think of music, right? Sometimes there are musicians, or at least who think they're musicians, right? And let's just say they're not using their their best gifts, right? But, um, and so there's been times like that. And so there's always, when you think about a mic, there's times where we want to hear what's coming from that mic. There's times when we don't want to hear what's coming from that mic. But, you know, when God is the one who is at the mic, uh, when God is the one who is speaking to us, he's in an entirely different category altogether. When God is at the mic, it isn't really about whether we want to listen to it or we don't want to listen to it. The, The reality is we need to listen to it. We must listen as our God has something to say to us. You know, whenever we pick up the Bible... God is at the mic. That's why we call it God's word. When we read the words of scripture, he is speaking to us. And when we think of these books that we call the prophets or the 12 minor prophets that we're going to be looking at over the next few months, in particular, we think about God at the mic. Because in these prophetic books, God had something that he wanted to say to his people at a particular point in time. And he delivered that message through the mouth and through the pen of these men that we call the prophets. Something he wanted to say. If you look at the very first verse of the book of Joel, the book that we're starting this series with this morning, Joel 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Joel. The word of the Lord. Everything else that we read in the rest of this book is the word of the Lord. Of the Lord, and again, as I said, a word given a particular point in time. Now, scholars debate what that point in time was when it comes to the Book of Joel. Some people believe it was written as early as the ninth century B.C., nine hundred years before the coming of Christ. Some people believe it's one of the latest minor prophets, written in about the fourth century. BC. We really can't be sure or dogmatic about that, but I think particularly when it comes to the message of the book of Joel, uh, really it, it doesn't matter as much because it's such a timeless message. Yes, God was speaking something to the people of Joel's day, but he's speaking to us in our day every bit as much through these words. As one person put it, the book of Joel can be a little bit of a puzzler when you read through it. It's only 3 chapters, it's a very short book, and yet when you read through these 3 chapters, it's sometimes hard to kind of know where you are. Where am I in the chronology? Where am I in in time? What is he talking about? And and it's puzzling because in this very short book, Joel actually covers quite a bit of ground. In the first chapter of Joel, he speaks about recent events. We'll come back to this in a moment, but in Joel chapter 1, he speaks about an invasion of locusts that had just taken place in the land. But then you turn the page to chapter 2, and he he starts to speak about imminent events, events that are right around the corner. He describes another invasion. Some people think it's another locust invasion. Uh, I agree with those who say that it is a literal army of men that is coming from the north and is going to invade uh, the land of Judah. And so he's speaking about that imminent event. Uh, But then Uh, The word that God gave to Joel really jumps a long way into the future to look at distant events. You see that, for example, in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, when he talks about how one day God will pour out his Holy Spirit. Well, we know when that took place because we're holding the New Testament in our hands. And we know in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church, that the Apostle Peter said, this is what the prophet Joel was talking about. That the Spirit of God has been poured out upon his people, upon all flesh. But in the next verse after that he begins to move and speak of things such as the sun being turned to darkness and the moon being turned to blood the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord and I believe at that point he's moved even beyond for him the distant event of Pentecost and he's moved to speak of final events events that are still in the future even for us, events that will take place just before the coming, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to judge the earth. And so again, even though the book of Joel is short, he's covering an awful lot of ground in these three chapters, far more ground than we have time to cover here this morning. But I want us to mainly focus on one passage that's right in the middle of the book of Joel. Look with me, Joel chapter 2. Starting in verse 12, God is at the mic, and this is what he says. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God? If I had to boil the three chapters of the book of Joel down to just three verses, it would be those three verses that we just read. And if I had to boil those three verses down to just three words that really encapsulate the message of the book of Joel, it would be the three words that you find in the second line of verse 12, where God says, turn to me. Here's the main idea of the message this morning. In Joel, God is at the mic and he is saying to us, turn to me. As we start this new year, it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what our story is. I believe this is true for every single one of us. God is saying to us, turn to me. Perhaps you're in this room today or listening right now, and you haven't yet trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Well, that's how you need to turn to him on this new year. So turn in faith to Christ, to open up your heart to him to accept what he did for you at the cross when he died for your sins, to receive him as your Lord and your Savior. Perhaps you're here today and and you would say, I've trusted in Christ at some point in the past, but, but right now I know my spiritual life is not at all where it needs to be. Apparently that was the case for the people in Joel's day. That's why God was calling them to turn to him. There there was a time when they were closer with the Lord than they were at this moment. Their hearts had grown cold and hard and indifferent to the Lord. And maybe that's what you sense going on in your heart right now, a hardness and a coldness where you've forgotten your first love, where you've kind of backslidden away from the Lord. And if that's the case, hear the Lord speaking to you today at the first of this new year, saying to you, turn to me. Maybe you're here and you would say, you know what, pastor, by God's grace, I really feel like I've been walking closely with God, even in this last year. I don't feel like I've backslidden from him. I don't feel like there's some kind of major area of my life where I've backslidden away from the Lord. I praise God for that, but I would still say to you that God is still calling you to turn to him as he always is. He wants us to come to him and lay our hearts before him because none of us are perfect, are we? None of us are a finished product. And as we lay our heart out before the Lord in his grace, he's going to reveal some things in our hearts and in our lives that do not look exactly like Jesus. So again, no matter who we are, his word to us today is the same. Turn to me. As we hear this word from the Lord that we need to turn to him, how should we do that? How must we turn to the Lord? Well, Joel tells us how in these verses. The first thing that he says to us that we need to turn to the Lord, we need to turn to him urgently. Urgently. In fact, you see that in the very first word of our text in verse 12 because the first word of that verse is the word now. God says, now, therefore, turn to me with all your heart. He doesn't say tomorrow. He doesn't say next year in 2023. He doesn't say whenever you kind of have a convenient time to do that. No, he says, now, now is the time to turn to me. There there, is a sense of urgency about it. The prophet Joel is stressing how urgent the situation is. In fact, if you look at verses 15 and, and 16, the prophet is calling on the priest, on the spiritual leaders, and he's saying, you need to blow the trumpet. You, you need to call a fast. You need to call a sacred assembly and bring all the people together. In verse 16, he says, you need to bring the elders all the way down to the children and even the nursing infants. In verse 16, even, look, look at these words in verse 16. He even says this. He says, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. What he's saying there is even if it is your wedding day, even if you are the groom or the bride and you're, you're about to walk down the aisle and get married, you need to take a time out on that because this is more important. And you need to come right now. You need to seek the Lord urgently. Now, why was it so urgent? What was so pressing? Well, if you go back to chapter one, you can see what had gone on in the land. As I mentioned before, an invasion of locusts that had destroyed everything. Look at chapter one, verse four. He writes, "...what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. What the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten." And some people believe these are different types of locusts. It's possible that these are uh, different stages of a locust development. I, I tend to believe that he's just describing successive waves of locusts that had invaded the land. And basically what the first wave of locusts didn't eat, the second wave ate. What they didn't eat, the third wave ate and so on and the fourth wave. And as you read on in chapter one, the picture is just one of devastation. They just stripped everything bare. They didn't have hardly anything left to eat at all. And by the way, what Joel describes here is something that has been seen at many other times in human history, when locusts swarm like this, there can be millions of them. They can cover thousands of square miles. And in 1960, in California, there was an invasion of of grasshoppers that came in, and where 200,000 acres of land were covered with insects and eaten up. And the local newspaper described it like this. He said, quote, every square inch was covered. And in some cases, the grasshoppers were stacked on top of one another. One official said, quote, what they don't eat, they cut off for their entertainment. That's what Joel is talking about here. That's what's just happened to the land of Israel. And economically, it had just ravaged the country and left them with very little. That's part of why this was an urgent situation. But then in chapter 2, he tells them even another reason why it's an urgent situation. Because he begins to describe how the locusts that came were really just a warning of something else. And he begins to describe an, an invading army that's going to come on them from the north, is going to take over the land, and, and it's an army that represents God's judgment upon them, and it's described in almost apocalyptic terminology. Look at verse 10 of chapter 2. He says, the earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? I want you to underline in verse 11 that phrase, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, because that really is the theme of the book of Joel. You know, that phrase, the day of the Lord, it shows up 19 times in the Old Testament, and it shows up another four times in the New Testament, but nobody uses that phrase more than the prophet Joel. He uses that phrase, the day of the Lord, five times in this little book. Normally in the Bible, when you read about the day of the Lord, you're reading about that final day of judgment that's going to come when the Lord Jesus returns to judge the world. But Joel uses that phrase a little bit differently. He uses that phrase, the day of the Lord, even to refer to the locusts that had just invaded. He said, that was the day of the Lord. He uses it when he talks about this invading army that was about to come. He says, that is also the day of the Lord. And then he speaks of a future day of the Lord as well. And really the point that he's making is that in some sense, we're always in the day of the Lord. Because the Lord is always working. The Lord is always warning. The Lord is always trying to get us ready for that final day of the Lord that is to come. Basically, what Joel was saying is, guys, it is time to wake up. It is time to stop being complacent. Joel was explaining to them again that what happened with the locust was just a warning. It was a wake-up call because a far greater day of judgment was about to come upon them. Friends, I hope that we recognize that God, who is still speaking and who is still working, is doing exactly the same thing today. He doesn't always have to use locusts to give us a warning. He can use many different things. You know, I was really struck this week. I was reading a commentary by Pastor Warren Weersby, And he wrote these words more than 25 years ago in 1996. Now bear that in mind as you listen to what he said. He was writing about this passage and he said, quote, God didn't have to send great battalions to Judah to bring the people to their knees. All he needed was a swarm of little insects, and they did the job. Listen, sometimes he uses bacteria or viruses so tiny that you need a special microscope to see them. He is the Almighty, and none can stay his powerful hand. Wow, did you hear that? Obviously, as I read that, I began to think about what you're thinking about the last two years and this pandemic that we've gone through, what Wearsby describes as a tiny little virus. Now, I don't claim to know all of the reasons why the Lord has allowed this global pandemic to take place, but I do know what the book of Joel teaches me. I do know that he is always working, that he is always warning that he is always seeking to get us ready for the coming day of the Lord. And I I mean, just listen, if God allowing something to take place like has just happened, that has brought the entire world and every one of our lives to a screeching halt, if that isn't enough to get our attention, I don't know what else would do it. We, we cannot say as we sit here in January of 2022, after the two years that we have just experienced, that we have not been warned. And, friend, if you've read your Bible all the way to the end, then you know that COVID 19 is nothing compared with the judgment of God that is one day going to fall upon the earth. The situation is urgent. The Lord is coming back and we don't know when. They didn't know when this army was going to invade. We don't know when that trumpet is going to sound. And that's why he says, now is the time to turn to the Lord. While well, it is called today, we must turn to the Lord urgently. We also must turn to the Lord wholeheartedly. Look with me again at verse 12 of Joel chapter two. He says, "Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart." Doesn't say with half your heart. He says, "With all your heart, wholeheartedly." But sometimes I'm afraid that we're not really ready to do that. We want to turn a little bit. We want to turn away from sin somewhat. We want to keep doing some of the things that maybe we're doing. We repent of some sins, maybe not of some others. Sometimes we want to repent of some lesser things. It makes us feel better about ourselves. And we know that there's this other huge area, glaring area in our life that we're not even addressing. We're not letting God speak to that or or say anything to us about that. Maybe that's where you find yourself right now, but that is not at all what Joel says in his word. God says, turn to me with all your heart. And when a person is ready to do that, When a person is ready to turn to God with all their heart, they're not going to be asking, how much can I get away with? They're not going to be asking, what can I continue to do? No, when a person's heart is really being touched by God and he's drawing them to himself, then that person has a heart that says, God, I am all yours. My whole life is before you. I am an open book. Lord, you speak to me. All I want to know, God, is what do you want me to do? When our heart is in that place where we just want to hear from God and we're ready to obey God, whatever he says to us, then we're in a place for revival to come to our soul and to our life. Wholeheartedly turning to the Lord. That's the need of the hour. We must turn urgently. We must turn wholeheartedly. We also must turn brokenheartedly. Joel writes about that at the beginning of verse 13. He says, So rend or tear your heart and not your garments. Now the reason he says that is because in that day, when the people of God would would fast about something and and mourn about something, a lot of times they would tear their their clothes. They would rip their clothes in half as as kind of a, a symbol of how upset they were about whatever that thing is that they were mourning about. And here Joel says, You know, don't do that. Don't tear your clothes And the main reason I think he's saying that is because, you know, if that's all you do, if you just tear your clothes, because that's supposed to look like you're turning away from something and you're repenting from something, but you've never actually torn your heart, then that doesn't mean anything to God. God is interested in what's happening in our heart. He doesn't want to seem torn polyester. He wants to seem torn pride inside of our hearts. He wants to see us humble ourselves. He wants to see us come before him with a heart that is wide open and sometimes that requires the breaking of our hearts. That's not a comfortable thing if you've been there before. For God to break your heart over something in your life. But that's what's needed. For God to get in there with all the mess of real life stuff and some of the things that we've gotten involved in and let him bring healing and and cleansing to what's happening in our life. It requires us to be broken. And when we let God work in our heart in that kind of a way on the inside, well, then it's very natural for some of that to show up on the outside too. That's why Joel is not contradicting himself when he says in verse 12, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, because if he really has broken our hearts over our sin, very often that breaking of our hearts is going to show up in some weeping and some mourning over our sin. James talks about that too. James chapter 4. Christian, let me ask you this. When is the last time that you wept mourned over your sin before God. And if you can't remember when that was or that was so long ago that you can't recall that is is it possible that part of the reason why it's been so long since you wept over your sin is that it's been a really long time since you did what Joel was talking about and you brought your heart wide open before the Lord? And you said to him, God, I, I, don't, I don't care what it is. I want you to put your Holy Spirit's touch on any part of my life. You show me what doesn't look like Jesus because I want my life to look like his. And again, that can be painful to open ourselves up to his touch in that kind of a way. But as he brings us through that process, as he brings us to healing and to cleansing, that's when we're able to experience that fullness of freedom that he wants us to have the joy that he wants us to have as we walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord. That's something that I really believe God is calling our church to do in 2022. I know that we're excited about a lot of things coming up this year. We're excited about next weekend. As I said earlier, 100th anniversary. We're excited about the new church that has just been launched We're excited about the new worship center that's being built right outside these doors that we hope to move into by the end of this year. And it's fine to be excited about all of those things. But church, what God cares about more than all of that is our hearts. What God wants is what he's always wanted. He wants us to walk in intimate fellowship with him. He wants us to experience the fullness of joy as we walk closely with the Lord. That's why we've created something this year that we're calling the Now Team. The name the Now Team comes from the very first word that we read in our text today. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. I believe just as Joel said many, many years ago, it's the same for us today. Now is the time for us as a church to seek the Lord Together And because Joel calls on the people of God to turn to the Lord with fasting, what I'm asking is for those that become a part of the NOW team is that you would make a commitment in this new year in 2022 that one day each month that you would commit in 2022 to fasting and praying together with the people of God in this place. You would pick whatever day of the month, maybe it's a a birthday or just a day that's easy for you to remember. Let's say it's the 10th of the month, and whenever the 10th of the month rolls around in January, February, and so on, that on that day each month, you would commit to pray and to fast and to seek God's presence together. And you can see the link there. You can sign up for that today. It'll take you about 10 seconds to do that. There's a card in the chair pocket in front of you as well that's marked the Now Team. God leads you to. You can fill that out. You can drop that in the boxes right at the end of the services today. I know the Lord warned us in Matthew chapter 6 that we don't fast in order to be seen by men, but that we fast in order just to seek the Lord. And uh, that's why even as I ask you to turn in these cards, I want you to know that this is not a list that's going to be published anywhere for anybody else to see. Uh, Very, very few people are going to see that you turned in a card at all. The reason why we're asking you to do that is simply so that on the day before your day of the month comes each, uh, each month this year, you're going to just receive a, a prompt from the church that every month our elders are going to just lay before our church something that we're fasting and praying about. And so again, if you pick the 10th of the month or the 9th of the month, you'll get that prompt so that next day, you know what it is, that month that we're praying and we're fasting together for. And, and I, I'm excited about what the Lord could do through this in our church. Imagine what he could do in our hearts and in our church if throughout this year, if every day of the year, 10 of us or 20 of us or 30 of us were fasting and praying together about these matters. It's amazing to think about what the Lord could do in and through that as we seek his face together. I know that fasting may be kind of a new concept for some, it may be something that you've never done before. And whenever there's something you've never done before, there's always some nervousness about uh, that. There may even be some of you who are wondering, you know, I know I'm reading about fasting in the Old Testament. Is that even something that shows up in the New Testament? Is that something that, as a follower of Christ, that we're even called to do? And, you know, this is not a whole message about fasting, so we can't spend a long time on this. But, but I just want to mention in Mark chapter 2, you know, there's a place where uh, folks came to Jesus and they were almost kind of whining and, and complaining a little bit that his disciples were not fasting. They said, how come your disciples don't fast? They said, John the Baptist's disciples fast, why not yours? And Jesus said to them, listen, I am the groom and the groom is here right now. And because the groom is here right now, it's not the time for my disciples. It's not the time for the friends of the bridegroom, the wedding party to fast because this is a time of celebration because the groom is here. But then he said this in Mark chapter two, verse 20. He said this next. He says, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. Well, church, those are the days that we're living in right now, aren't they? The bridegroom has ascended to the Father, and according to Jesus, it is natural, he assumes that his followers in these days will be fasting as we live in this broken world and as we long and we wait for the return of our Savior. So it is something that Jesus assumes that we will do. Now, typically fasting is going without food for a period of time so that we can seek the Lord. Um, If you choose a certain day of the month, it may be that during that day for that 24-hour period that you would say, I'm going to fast from food during this 24 hours in order to seek the Lord through prayer. Um, It doesn't necessarily have to be a full 24-hour period. It may just be that you miss one meal that day or two meals uh, during that day. It, It really is about our hearts, isn't it? And I know there may be some who are here that for medical reasons, it may not be a safe thing for you to fast from food in that kind of a way. Uh, But I still want you to be a part of that. I still want you to be a part of seeking the Lord together. And and so I would just encourage you, perhaps if that's you, to still become a part of that now team and just fast from something else. Um, You know, maybe fast from TV one day a month. That would probably be a good thing for all of us to do, wouldn't it? (laughs) Maybe fast from spending three hours a day on Facebook, you know, once a month, all right? And, and as we do that, as we fast from whatever is maybe taking some of our time, and we spend that time that we would have spent on that other thing, to seeking the Lord more or earnestly on that day. Really, this is the principle that I want us to hear today. When we fast, we say no to less important things so that we can say yes to the most important thing, to seeking our God in earnest prayer. Church, it's time for us to turn to the Lord. We've seen that we need to turn to him urgently. We need to turn to him wholeheartedly. We need to turn to him brokenheartedly with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. But also, and this is so important, we need to turn to the Lord believingly. Joel tells us as we turn to the Lord, we need to trust in him. First of all, as we turn to him, we need to trust his heart. His heart. The heart of our God that we're turning to. Look at verse 13 again. He says, So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Joel is using words to describe God there that are almost identical to what God said to Moses on Mount Sinai right after the Israelites had sinned with the golden calf, and God revealed himself and revealed his character to Moses. In in, in this context, Joel has been warning them about their sin, warning them about this invasion that's about to take place, calling them to return to the Lord. But now he says, listen, remember the one that you're returning to he's a God who loves you. He's a God who's merciful, a God who's gracious, a God who's abounding in loving kindness. In other words, you can trust his heart, that he is your heavenly father who loves you. But sometimes, you know, when we've messed up, I'm afraid that we're not so sure that we can turn to him. This past week, uh, we had some friends over for dinner at our house. And um, my youngest uh, son, Zeke, uh, who is four years old, um, he, he kind of, you know, got in trouble a little bit. He, he was just kind of rough roughhousing, playing a little too rough with one of his friends. And he knew that he had done wrong. And so I called his name. And, you know, all your kids are different, right? He's the only one of my four sons that that is like this. Um, But with with Zeke, I mean, if I just just look at him sternly or call his name, uh, there are times where he just breaks down crying right then. And, uh, and this was kind of one of those times. He knew he was in trouble. I called his name. He kind of came over, you know, behind Megan, his mom, and he's kind of hiding behind her and, 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 and he's, he's crying and he didn't want to even look at me. You know, he's kind of like looking up at me and then he looks right back down. You know, he's kind of like averting his eyes, you know, because he felt like he had disappointed me. He didn't know what I would do. So it was one of those times where I had to just get up and just kind of pick him up and just, you know, tell him what he did wrong, but also just kind of reassure him of, of my love for him. And sometimes I think it's like that when it comes to our relationship with God. Some of us feel like, you know, we've messed up so bad and we've messed up so often and so many times that God is, you know, he's probably like done with us now. You know, I I can't possibly go back to him again, especially if it's about the same thing that I've gone back to him about time and time before. And so there's sometimes we're almost like we're hiding our eyes from him. We're afraid to even kind of connect with him. We don't feel like we can come to him in prayer. We don't feel like we can even come in worship because we just don't know what he's going to say. And this is where we need to remember the God that we worship is a father who loves us. From the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, right after Adam had sinned, God pursues Adam, doesn't he? He says, Adam, where are you? And we come to the very end of the Bible in the last chapter of Revelation. And it says the spirit and the bride say, come. All throughout the Bible, from the beginning to the end, God is inviting sinners like you and sinners like me to come to him. Because he loves us with an amazing Love, this is the God who is calling us to turn to Him. We need to trust His heart. We also need to trust His plan. The very last phrase of verse 13 it says, He relents from doing harm. That's in His character, that's who He is. When, When His people repent and turn from their sin and turn back to Him, it's in his character to show blessing instead of bringing judgment upon him. When we come to the book of Jonah in a few weeks, we're going to see that acted out right before us because much to Jonah's chagrin, by the way, when the Ninevites repent of their sin and turn back to God, he relents from doing harm. The same word is used there in that book. He shows them blessing instead of judgment. But just like the king of Nineveh in that story, notice that the prophet Joel here does not presume upon God's grace. He does not presume upon God's mercy. Look at what he says in verse 14. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? Who knows? In other words, it's God's decision. It's God's prerogative. Joel is recognizing we already deserve judgment because of what we've already done, right? God would be just if he sent judgment to us no matter what we do right now because of what we've already done. And so he doesn't presume upon God's mercy. He says, who knows? But we're called to seek his face, to call upon his mercy. You know, when I think about America, our nation, I don't stand in the place of God, Certainly, I think we would all admit that we deserve the judgment of God to come upon us because we have collectively, as a nation, collectively, as a people, in many ways, and I don't think I need to run through them all, we have turned away from the Lord. We deserve His judgment. But to quote from Joel here, who knows if he would turn and relent. And grant more time if the people of God in America would turn to him in sincere and earnest prayer. You know, God told Abraham when they were standing outside of the city of Sodom right before the fire and brimstone fell. That he would spare the city of Sodom if he could find even ten righteous people there. Well, who knows if the righteous would turn to him in true faith if he would turn and relent. Who knows if he might send a third great awakening upon our nation and millions of our countrymen would turn and put their faith in Christ. Who knows if he might not pour out his blessing right here in the Space Coast and in the city of Melbourne, if thousands of our neighbors and our friends and our family members would turn and put their faith in Christ because of that outpouring of his spirit. Who knows? That's up to God. But he's told us what he's called us to do, and that's to turn to him now and to seek his face and to pray. We trust his heart, we trust his plan, and we trust his hand. We trust his intentions and what he wants to do, his purposes in each of our lives. There's just two more scriptures from Joel I want to share with you, and then we'll be through. The first is in chapter 2, verse 32, and If you're here and and you don't yet know Jesus in a saving way, this is his word to you today. Verse 32, he says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friend, that's God's word to you. Call on his name, turn to him in faith, and he says you will be saved. The last verse I want us to look at is back in verse 25. Joel is describing a time after the invasion, a time of blessing, a time of renewal for the people of God. And I love the picture that he gives in this verse. He says, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army, which I sent among you. I think that's probably my favorite verse in the book of Joel. The locust had come and had destroyed just about everything. But God promises that one day he will restore the years that the locust had eaten away. There's some in this room, I imagine, that when you look back at your life, perhaps even to your life before you came to know Christ, you think of the years that the locust have eaten away. Years that were wasted, years that you will not get back. What a beautiful promise that we read in God's word that he will restore the years that the locusts have eaten away. We know he will do that one day when he restores all things. Jesus said, I will make all things new. But friend, he wants to do that restorative work. He wants to begin that in our life even now. I'm praying that he'll do that even in this room this morning, that he'll restore some families and some marriages in this room beginning today. I pray that he would restore some hearts and some souls and people who have drifted from God, and he'd begin to restore your faith and your walk with him today. That's what he wants to do in our life. I know we talked earlier about the the Now team, and again, there'll be a chance to to commit to that and to turn in those cards in a moment. But, you know, I don't want to wait for, you know, another day this month or, you know, a day in February or March to seek the Lord. I I believe God is calling us right now today to seek him, to turn to him. While this word is still ringing in our ears. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. And I want to give us time to do that right now. So Pastor David's going to come and, and just simply play for us. And well, we just want to create some space right now in this service. There's no other agenda. There's nothing else planned for the next several minutes. But, but just to give you an opportunity and me an opportunity to seek the Lord. If you're, if you're watching from home, to kneel right where you are in, in your living room you're here with us. You can kneel where you are. You can come up to the steps here all across the front of this altar and just simply pray. I don't know how long it's been since you've come to an altar and prayed and just just laid your heart open before God and just said, Lord, I I I don't want to be a little bit in. I want to be all in. I want to come to you wholeheartedly. I want to come to you brokenheartedly. Lord, if you need to break me of, of something in my life that's, that's keeping me back from all that you have for me, for the relationship that I want to have with you. Lord, I want you to break me of that. I want you to show me that. I want you to reveal that to me. Because I don't want to settle for anything less than the fullness of that walk with you that you say I can have in your word. So right now friend where you are or here wherever God would lead you this is now is the time says the Lord to turn to me